Today we are continuing in James, as we've said, and uh, we are in part four, and we're going to be in chapter two in just a moment, following on from this James. It gets very confusing when you try to refer to James, because you get, which one is it, the Bible or this one? And, uh, so I'll, no, I won't make up a name for James. But, um, James is this very practical book, we've seen already, it's this practical book about how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. And then before we get stuck into these verses, I just felt, and uh, it's really great, it's comforting in our worship time, I just felt it would be important just to remind ourselves of a key truth, a key truth that we see throughout Scripture, and it's really important that we hold on to it before we get into this passage. And it's this, that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. We're saved in faith by Christ alone. And what does that actually mean? Well, it means that we were, we were created for a relationship with God, and yet we rejected God and went our own way. We sinned, the Bible tells us everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And despite that, God had a plan, actually because of that. God had a plan, and he always had a plan. And the plan was this, to send his son, Jesus Christ. God to come to earth himself, to make a way. And when Jesus came, he knew exactly what he had to do. He came to preach truth, he came to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, some exciting stuff. And yet he knew his mission, his purpose here was actually to die, to lay down his life on the cross, to willingly sacrifice in place of us. And he took on the punishment of sin upon himself. It's incredible, incredible that he would do that. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. Actually, since man has sinned, all we've been trying to do is kind of earn ourselves way back to God. We're kind of doing good things. We read our Bible. Does that make us holy? We do this, we do that, we do that. Trying to earn our way back to God. And ultimately, we couldn't. But Jesus, Jesus did everything. Jesus did everything that we couldn't do. And it's just incredible that on the cross, when he breathed his last, what did he say? He said, it is finished. It is complete. It is done. Salvation is done. It is complete. And what we couldn't earn, what we couldn't deserve, what we could actually never add to, Jesus did everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We need to get that. We need to hold on to that. And what faith is, faith is putting our trust in the Jesus that has done absolutely everything. Okay? And so we start there. We don't move on from there. It's all a work of Jesus. And we cannot come to God in any other way than through faith in him. And James knows this truth. This James, my old James. James knows it as well, but this James. He knows this truth. And he knows his readers know this truth. Yet he's also, he also is aware that there's a danger that some people who would say they were followers of Christ would say they know this truth in their head, but actually the truth is that it has no outworking in their life. No outworking whatsoever. And so James kind of pens this letter that we see, and it's important that we hold on to the truth, that we're saved by faith alone. But actually James is going to reveal some things to us that's really helpful. Because some people, it's in their head, but not in their heart, and so it hasn't affected the way they live. So let's get into these verses. We're starting in uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And there it is. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe in Shadrach. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. But as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, James gave, this James gave me a nice, easy passage by the looks of it. Um, before we get into these verses, I just want to say, there are people for hundreds of years that, who are far brainier than me, that have kind of debated, argued, um, kind of almost, kind of, well, definitely fell out from each other, and written books and all that kind of stuff about some of these verses in this, in this book that we're reading now. And um, so I would encourage you, if you've got that kind of brain that likes to, to go and explore debates and, and things like that, I'd encourage you to go read them. I don't, so uh, we're not going to go there. Um, but put, actually, put simply, it seems, doesn't it, that we've just read these verses, that James is contradicting kind of all that I started off with, that faith, all that came through our worship, faith in Christ alone, saved by faith in Christ alone. And yet what actually James is doing is he's answering a different question. He's answering... The question or the misunderstanding of the gospel that says having a belief in Jesus, a head knowledge, is enough for salvation. And so he's answering the question, not how do I be saved, but how do I live out this Christian life? Yeah. And so it's important we get that when we look at these verses, because otherwise it can be, well, why is he contradicting pretty much everything Paul ever says in the whole of the New Testament? It's important we know what question he's answering. And we've titled this preaching series, Faith Works. And I hope, I think it's been really helpful, but I hope it's coming through loud and clear that faith, if, a, if you have a faith, it's a faith that works. It's a faith that makes a difference to our lives. Yes, we're saved by faith in Christ alone. But saving faith, real faith, never remains alone. It works itself out yeah. in the way we live our lives. Our works, our good deeds, our deeds, our actions, are actually evidence of the real faith that is in our real faith that's in Christ. Works are evidence of real faith in Christ. How do we know if a tree is good? It produces good fruit. Mm. Evidence. Works are evidence of real faith in Christ. And so James actually, through this passage, a bit like last week as well, is warning us. He's given us some warnings. He's given us some helpful reminders that we're not to be those who talk the talk, but walk the walk. Uh, a lot of this is kind of a bit like, whoa, James. And we're going to go through these verses, and hopefully they'll be helpful. We heard last week that a warning is 
It's not just a warning to say no, but it's an invitation to say yes. It's a, it's a warning. So if we warn our children, it's like, don't run in the streets. Why do we do that? It's because we're wanting them not to die, but we're also inviting them to enjoy life and be safe. James is doing that here. He's saying, he's warning us against dead faith. Faith that is dead. Faith without works is dead. But he's inviting us into have faith that is alive. So, let's do this. James's first warning is this. Faith without works gives lip service. Real faith is a lifestyle. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? He's like saying, what, what, good, what good is it if you say you're a Christian, you say it with your mouth, but actually the actions don't follow? We know talk is worthless if it's not backed up with action, don't we? My wife can uh, agree with, would agree with this. If I say, oh, I'll put the bins out, and then I don't actually get up, put the bins out, and take them outside, yeah, talk without no action, and uh, that's tonight, so I'm just reminding myself, so that's good. Um, oh, yeah, bank holiday. Yes! <laughs> I hate putting the bins out. Anyway, it's a different sound problem. I'm saving my wife. Um, is there any Man United fans in the room? No one's admitting to it. Because it's not the glory days anymore, but back when it was the glory days, uh, back when I was younger, everybody was a Man United fan. Everybody. And um, I remember having a conversation once with someone, and he said he was a Man United fan. I said, oh, okay, number one, yeah. And uh, they've never heard of what it is to support a local team. Um, but anyway. Um, I asked him, oh, good, good result on the weekend? He was like, I don't know, actually, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I was like, oh, okay. I just didn't catch it this week. So I said, oh, who, who do you think is playing well this season? Who's your, who's your favourite player? They were like, I don't know any of the players. I was like, you don't know any of the players? Come on, how do you not know any of the players? Don't you know any of them? They are like, I don't actually know. I was like, okay, I, I there's probably no point in me asking this one, but... Uh, have you ever been to Old Trafford? Have you ever watched them? He was like, never been to Old Trafford. Haven't watched them probably for five or six years. You're not a Man United fan, are you? Let's be honest. You might say you are. You might say you're a Man United fan, but you're really not the real deal. And uh, I think James is saying something a bit like this here. He's saying some of us, some Christians, some of the people he's writing, people he's writing to in this book, you might say, you might say you're a Christian, you're not really. The way you live out your life, you're just really giving lip service rather than it being a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lip service, but their hearts are far from me. Mm-hmm. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. It's challenging stuff, but the question is, you know, are we sometimes, or are we, in danger of giving lip service? Are we just following rules that we've been taught as a kid? I was singing on a Sunday, I love you Lord, I worship you, but actually there's no, there's no overflow of that worship throughout Monday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. Just because you're singing like you're saved, it doesn't necessarily mean you are, if there's no evidence of it throughout the week. It's all about our trust in Jesus, but a, a, a true faith, a true trust in Jesus will work itself out in our lifestyle. Yes. And we see this, don't we, with the, the first uh, disciples, when Jesus called you see, in the Gospels, 
Jesus called the first disciples. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They didn't say, yes, Jesus, we love you. They just stayed, stayed where they were. And no, no, they got up, they followed him, they went with him. They didn't then return into their kind of independent lifestyle after a few hours with Jesus. No, no, no. They, they lived out, obeying him, honouring him. Yeah, they got it wrong. We know that. So Peter even denied him. Nobody even knew him. But there was this kind of uh, an overflow into their lifestyle that was honouring and obeying Jesus with their lives. Yes. The faith, their faith in Jesus began a process of transforming their life each day. That's the first one in. Second one is this. Faith without works does nothing. Real faith acts. Let's just look at verse 15 to 16. It says this. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This is really, I think, find this one really challenging. It's like, there's people amongst you, and to be honest with you, throughout, I'm sure most churches, if not all churches today, there's going to be people amongst us that can't afford the food on the table, or they can only just about, or they can't afford to really buy the, the latest clothing, or things like that. And I think the more that we reach Welling, the more we reach into north of the borough, we're going to see more people coming in like this. But he's so straight to the point here. James is like, what good? What good are your beliefs? What good are your words? It says, uh, what do you say? Be warmed and filled. Go in peace. What, what good are your words? What good are your prayers? What good are your beliefs? If it doesn't actually make you look after and provide for your own family, for your own brothers and sisters. What good is that, he says? If I said, so I love my kids, but actually I never cared for them or I never loved, showed that love by providing for them, you would really quickly begin to doubt whether I really love them or not. And I'm rightly so. 1 John 3:17 to 18 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Real faith doesn't just talk about loving people, it actually acts upon that love. Real faith expresses itself through love, through acts of love, by providing for people's needs in our community. Yes. James, James isn't actually talking about people you know, out there in Welling and beyond. It's actually talking about people amongst us, your own brothers and sisters, your own community. I love, um, I love reading through Acts, I'm sure, I'm sure many of you do. And I love it when you get to Acts 2, 42 uh, to 47. And, uh, and there's this picture of what a community of believers can be like. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there, was a, there was some issues and there were things that weren't perfect like any other, any other community. But what I love about it is you see people who are devoted to prayer, they're devoted to one another, they're devoted to the teaching of the word, they're devoted to praying and laying hands on the sick. They're devoted to meeting each other's houses and eating together and building relationships together. But it also says that they, to any who has needs, they provided. To any, who any had needs, they provided for that need. They gave 
to any good need. And I love that. That's the kind of community I would love us to have here in Wedding. I'd love us to have a community that, that provides to one another, that doesn't just turn up on a Sunday and worship and pray together, but it, that there's an overflow into the way we live our lives from the Monday to Saturday. That we want to meet each other's needs, that we want to be generous towards one another. It's so, so worth noting what happened when this, in Acts, when the community of believers lived a life of faith in action. What happened? Every day they had people who were added to them. Wow. What a place to be in. That must have been an exciting place. We long, we pray, we dream, and we expect that to happen amongst us. We must, because it's in the Bible, so it must happen amongst us. Let's be this kind of community. Practically, what what might that look like? It might like, you know, we've got Ashburnham coming up in August. How good was it if someone who can't go is able to go because a few of us wrap around them and say, we'll give you the finance to make that happen? How good would that be? What about, um, I don't know, um, the mum's community, they're meeting in the coffee shop, and actually that person, they need, they need that money for the food shop. It's just, it's just they need to save hold of that money. A mum offers a week before, oh, you can, I'll buy your coffee, that's fine. It could be a simple little act like that. There's so many ways that we can serve to meet, meet, uh, meet each other's needs. Just quickly, you might say, Joe, I don't really know the needs. I don't know the needs around us. Some, sometimes they're not as visibly obvious as the, one, the example that James gives. I'd say, how are we going to do that? It's through getting to know one another. It's through spending time that goes beyond the small talk around the coffee on a Sunday morning, uh, Sunday afternoon. It's getting in each other's lives. It, it, it will mean being open and honest and, and vulnerable with one another. But the facts are we've all fallen short of God's standards. You know, we're, we're all on the same uh, playing field. It's, it's not like there's someone who's got it more all sorted than others. You might think that. It's not. We've all got needs. I loved hearing this week because this is... This kind of stuff, just, just so you don't feel like I'm like having a bash at all of you, this, this kind of stuff is happening amongst us. It was so great, even this week, just hearing that one of our wedding communities, we've got, uh, there are seven different nations represented in that community. What a place, what a place to be, where people from different backgrounds, gathering together, learning from one another, different um, backgrounds, different expectations, diff- kind of learn different ways of doing things in their life, sharing challenges, sharing encouragements. That's how we begin again, begin to learn each other, how to meet each other's needs. Mm. And a real faith will result in acts of love towards one another. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important that we're not too busy. I felt really challenged myself when I read this. We're not too busy to be worshipping on a Sunday and not actually know the needs of the person standing next to me. Mm. Worship. That's, a, that's not a great place to be, is it? It doesn't mean we all know each other's business and everything all the time, but... But I think it's important that we're willing to, to go beyond the hour and, a, hour and a half that we have on a Sunday. I just want you to bear this in mind as well, and this is, I think this is definitely biblical, we read it in Matthew, I think, that actually you might be the answer to the prayer that you're actually praying for somebody to meet their needs. God might have actually put you in their life that you might meet their needs that you're actually praying for on a Sunday. And it's great for us to be expecting that in our lives as well. What a place to be. Where we're not just praying for one another, but we're providing for each other as well. I just want to share a quick <coughs> excuse me, personal example of this. 
Uh, me and Hannah and the family have been trying to move to Welling, as some of you will know, for a, a little while now. And it's been a battle, it's been a challenge, it still is, we're still not there here. And, um, and then but a few weeks back, uh, a house came up that we really hoped to get, we didn't get it, we really hoped to get it. And the, the truth was, we were, we were a bit short kind of financially to get that. The amazing thing that happened was not only were people who were praying for us, because I re- which I really am grateful for, please keep praying for us that we'll, we'll get here, um, but there were people who have been financially blessed over the last couple of years, they were able to give to us financially some money. We were able to raise our offer three times. God obviously has a bit of a plan because we didn't get it, and we're still like battling with that in our hearts. But what people who are willing to ask the questions, how's it going? It's important and it's exciting, and I hope most our faith has been so stirred for it. Seeing other people step out in active faith, not just praying as well, but which is great, but also meeting needs of people in the community. It's exciting. <coughs> Excuse me. Do we do this just, 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 just to check us a bit? Do we do this because it somehow gives us God's approval? Do we give our money? Do we? Do we give it because do we do we uh, spend our time and effort with people and open up our lives and things like that? Is it because we seek some kind of approval from God? No. Does it add to the, the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross? No. But what it does is this: Galatians five six. For in Christ Jesus, this is good news for us men, by the way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, <laughs> but only faith. Working through love. Why do we do it? Why do we give our money? Why do we meet each other's needs? It's because faith works through love. Yes. Faith expresses itself through the giving of ourselves, our money, our whatever it is. It doesn't make us approved by God before God, but it is what a Christian, how a Christian lives. Thank you, Lord. James would say, actually, if there's no love, then there's no faith. Let's just move on to our final warning. Verse 18, excuse me, to 19. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's frightening. The warning us to us here is faith without works informs. You can know about Jesus, but actually real faith transforms. Real faith transforms us. James is saying, is your, is your, is your faith based only on, on knowledge? He says, well done, you believe. Well done. Even the demons believe. It's like, ooh, James, could have said that another way, but anyway. Faith without works, informs, real faith transforms. Imagine a doctor for a moment. A doctor <coughs> uh, kind of studies and for like a million years, I think about six, seven, eight, and for the rest of their time, I think, um, working. Ongoing study, ongoing learning, the textbooks, getting the information in, how to treat people, what to do in certain situations. They know all sides of kind of things about the body and they have to know what to do in any situation. But if that doctor never actually treats someone, 
If that doctor never actually uses the information that they know to treat someone, to even save someone's life, it's actually, it's actually pretty useless information, isn't it? <laughs> you can know so much. You can know so much about such amazing things. But if it's not actually used, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, pretty pointless. To be honest with you, some of us, we can know a lot of information about God. Some of us, not so much. But unless it results in faith that makes a difference to our life, James would say it's dead. Real faith transforms us. Real faith produces fruitfulness. And it's actually, if you think about it, James says it here, it's impossible for somebody to show their faith without works. You know, someone, someone now, show me how, how you have a faith without works. You can't do it. You show your faith through the way you live your life, through the works that you do. <clears throat> Andrew Wilson says it like this, as I trust God, works naturally follow. As I walk by the Spirit and abide in Christ, I bear much fruit. Producing lemons is no effort at all for a lemon tree. It's only orange trees that find it exhausting. Well, yeah, I think, well, he says exhausting, I think he means impossible. But um, real faith produces fruitfulness and transformation in our lives. If there's no fruitfulness, if there's no evidence of faith, it might be that actually we're an orange tree and not a lemon tree. It might be that we're trying hard to produce the fruit, but it's actually exhausting. Is it possible? I'll just give a per- my own testimony. My first 18, 19 years of my life, I went to I went to church for some of them, not all of them. But I went to church, grew up going to church with my parents. If you'd asked me if I believed in God, I'd have said yes. If you asked me if I believed that Jesus died for me, I'd have said yes. If you asked if Jesus um, was raised to life, I would probably have said yes. And yet. There was no transformation in my life whatsoever. Was I becoming more like Jesus? No. As I grew up into my teenage years, did I increasingly become more like Jesus? No, I did absolutely opposite. Absolutely opposite. <coughs> Excuse me. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't until I kind of came to uni, 19, I was confronted with a similar message as this, of being informed about Jesus and trying to be a good person. You know, I tried, I tried to live a good life. I wasn't like this complete rebel that completely did you know, the opposite to what anyone told me to do. I actually tried to live a good life. Failed a lot as well. But I was confronted with a similar message that I was informed about Jesus and trying to be a good person, that that was not enough for salvation. You know, in that moment, I decided I needed to put my faith fully in the complete work of Jesus Christ. Completely in him. And take a step of obedience to live my life, to follow him. Obeying Jesus with my life. It's an active, it's a daily thing. It's not just something you do in the past. It's something you do now. It's something you do tomorrow. It's all, we're only saved by our faith in Jesus Christ and his full fully and complete work on the cross. But when, it, when we're saved, it causes us to live this life for Jesus Christ. Am I perfect? No. Do I get it right every time? No. Is Jesus ongoing, transforming my life? Yes. 
you can ask Chris, he knew me before as a Christian, so I'm not just talking the talk. <laughs> it's important we consider this. You know, maybe you're here and your faith is actually based on, on knowing stuff about Jesus. Maybe you've been coming along for a little while. There's an opportunity today. Turn your heart to Jesus. Trust in him fully. Trust in him. Take a step of obedience to live your life for him. And you will see your life transform. You will see your life transform. I honestly believe it. I look back at my life sometimes and I think, how did this happen? How did this happen? I, I didn't make this happen. It's right, I didn't. I put my trust in completely in Jesus and he transformed my life. And he's ongoing transforming my life. Doesn't mean you suddenly become perfect. No. But real faith means transformation will naturally follow. God Thankfully, gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life that he called us to live. If we depend on the Holy Spirit, we will be fruitful. We will see transformation in our lives. We don't have to keep striving hard to do this, to be a good person and fail like I did before I became a Christian. God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us choose to live for him, and he will transform our life. I just want to finish these next few verses I'm not going to read them again, but um, <clears throat> James goes on to talk about Abraham and Rahab, two Old Testament characters. And I, I think he does that because he wants us to see that, 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 he, that God wants to use imperfect people like you and me. You know, Abraham, wow! I used, I used to think he was like this amazing guy because he was the, the father of the faith and he was the one that they all kind of stemmed from. And, and then I looked at who, what he's actually like and I was like, what? You're a liar, a coward, and an adulterer. I was like, whoa! Out of fear, Abraham pretended his wife was his sister and allowed another man to take her as his wife. He slept with his wife's servant because his wife wasn't able to conceive. He doubted God and laughed in God's face when God told him he would provide him with a child. Abraham was far from perfect. However, God used Abraham because he was a man who had a real faith that worked. Abraham's real faith was made visible that moment when he, when he took his promised son, Isaac, up the Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. Verse 22, James says, Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. It was like works and faith, they're not separated, they were working together in that moment. And faith became visible when he obeyed God in taking Isaiah, uh, sorry, taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him. God responded to Abraham's faith by responding, by providing a ram to die in his place and made Abraham a blessing to the nation. God has also stepped in. He's made a way. He's made a way by uh, sending Jesus Christ to be our perfect sacrifice, that we don't have to be perfect because he is perfect. Abraham put his faith in God and was counted in his righteousness. When we place our faith in Christ's full and complete work upon the cross, we too are counted as righteousness. Let's just quickly, how about Rahab? Rahab is a prostitute and a liar. But again, we see that God uses imperfect people who have real faith. God uses Rahab when her faith led her to take a risk. To take a risk and to... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to help the lives of God's messengers, the spies. She even made it to the kind of the faith, Paul of Fame, Hebrews 11, 
31 says, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, were not killed with those who were disobedient. God responded to her faith by saving her life and saving the lives of others. Abraham wasn't perfect. Rahab wasn't perfect. But Abraham's faith was, was, was visible from his obedience to God. Where might you need to, to begin to obey God in your life? Where, where might you be holding back? Where, like Rahab, where she was willing to take risks, where are we maybe not willing to take risks or not get out of our comfort? God wants to use imperfect people like you and like me. You know, just to finish a few more minutes. The reason why so many of us, if not all of us, came to Christ in the first place was that God used an imperfect person <coughs> to invite us or to tell us about Jesus. It's fairly simple, actually. <laughs> my story, like I shared something earlier, my story was actually Chris. Chris invited me to church. He lived a life living for God. Was he perfect? <coughs> no! <laughs> He's had 10 years of being transformed into God's likeness. You should have saw him back then. <laughs> But it was fairly simple. He lived, he was himself, and he invited me along to church. And now I'm here. God wants to use us to see the lives of people in wedding, our neighbours, our workplaces, our colleagues, our families, transformed. He really does. I really believe it. I just want to finish with this. This uh, word that I brought, we sat out there last week, wasn't it? <laughs> Kai Hunchins brought a word a few weeks back in our prayer meeting. Since she was picturing the streets of Welling with a shallow stream of water flowing over the pavements and roads, God showed her that the water was kindness being demonstrated by his people. Demonstrated by his people. A kindness that will touch the hearts and minds and lives of our neighbours. Yes, Welling has its fair share of religious groups, yet it will be his love demonstrated through his church that will win people. What we do is seen and has an impact. Not just on the recipient, but the wider community looking on. Small acts of kindness by individuals for individuals, as well as the bigger corporate things like the food bank and the night shelter and the community meal. So let's not become weary of doing good for the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Amen. Real faith works. Real faith expresses itself through love. As we love one another in our community, as we love our neighbours, as we love and serve welling, we'll see God's transform many, many, many lives. Amen.